Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He's preaching from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Today we continue on in our Difficulties Within Christianity passage or, or series. And uh, today's difficulty, uh, I'm going to get right to it. Hi, sweet girl. And my daughter said hello to me. I apologize. And she's more important than most of you, so. Um, she is. It's not even a lie. Um, today in the Difficulty Passages, the sermon series, here's, here's what we're going to get to today. Intellect. Belief, doctrine, thinking will never save you. Thinking, intellect, research, investigation will never save you in a million years. Never has saved a single soul and never will save a single soul. In fact, that's one of the difficulties we have within faith today, within our culture, within our understanding today. We typically get in fights, and and you could put this all across the spectrum everywhere. You can put it from politics to relationship to just anything. How often we fight over intellect, over over facts. Uh, How many times have you heard this year, I've done the research? Countless times. Over everything. Everything in the world. I've done the research. I've done the research. And now we we come and and it hasn't solved anything. It hasn't done anything. It hasn't produced any life-giving force. Today, I want to give you a difficulty. Difficulty is thinking cannot save you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to supply the answer for you. I'm going to tell you the answer. The answer of what can save you is identity. Identity will save you, will change you, will drastically alter you. Thinking alone, alone can never do that. Faith is not an agreement of prescribed rules and doctrine. Faith is not code or thinking. Thinking alone doesn't save you, but rather... Faith that is violent, and yes, I said violent. We're going to talk about that in a second. Faith that is violent shifts our identity, and that identity changes who you are. Um, I used to consider myself a healthy person, uh, and I, I go to the gym. I try to eat not fast food, and then I went to the doctor, and the doctor drew my blood and uh, looked at my numbers and was like, hey, you're an idiot. You're going to die shortly because your cholesterol is out of control. And I said, no, that's false. That's wrong. I've done the research. I work out. I I, I try to eat healthy. He said, it's not working. You need to change. And, And no matter what he said, this, that, the other, okay, You know the thing that changed me was? You know the thing that made me shift my diet and shift how I exercise? And I'm not currently doing the shamrock shuffle, but maybe one day I'll do that more. Maybe. You know what shifted and changed everything? It wasn't the doctor telling me, although that was helpful. It was helpful. It was when I realized. I went home and and I was talking to my wife. I said, yeah, the doctor says this and that. She goes, okay, that's cool. I said, but whatever, I can, I can live a good and healthy life. And I made, I made this stupid pastor comment, if God wants to take me, he's going to take me anyway. <laughs> she said, that's true. Um, but what if he doesn't take you and you suffer some sort of medical emergency and you can't hold your kids anymore? 
You can't do what you love anymore. You can't be with us like you are right now. And all of a sudden it went, shifted. Identity shifted because of relationship, because not only the facts, not only the knowledge, but all of a sudden something drastically shifted. And for her to say that, dare I say, it was pretty violent. <laughs> it was like aggressive. It was attacking. And it's exactly what I needed to hear to shift how I thought about health. Today, I want to show you identity changes you alone, not thinking. Thinking is part of it, but it's not everything. In fact, I want you to leave seeing this. I want you to see how identity comes through aggressive, violent humility. The shift of identity and then reception of a declaration. I want you to leave knowing that thinking can't change you. It's part of it. It begins it. We're going to find that out in a second through John. But I want you to leave knowing this. I want you to leave knowing the violence of, of humility, the shift of your identity, and then the reception of declaration, because that's exactly, it's doing it again. That's exactly what happened with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was able to see these three things, and I want you to see them right now. First, I want you to see the violent humility, the violent holiness. Uh, if I was to ask a crowd of people, if I was to go to your friends, or if I was to take a poll, a survey really quick, and I, I was to ask this, does Christianity endorse violence? We would we'd be split a little bit, and here's how typically people would answer. I've asked people this. Here's how they typically answer. Yes, violence is acceptable in some situations. Or, no, Christianity never endorses violence. These are typically the two receptions that I get when I ask that question. And I would like to say, we should be, we should be finding that question, that answer to that question a little differently. We should ask, what do you mean by violence? Because if we mean aggressive physical attacking, yes, Christianity does not endorse that. That is not something that we do within the faith. That's not something Christ prescribes to. That's not something he says. As a matter of fact, he says those who live by the sword die by the sword. He's giving us an understanding. If you do this, you're going to die by this. And here's natural law, natural order. But I think if, we're, if I was to ask this, does faith involve aggression? If faith, if we change violence from physical violence, from, from attacking violence, from the sword, from gun violence, from physical abuse, those sorts of things, yes, of course. Okay, that's one category. But if I was to say aggression, I would actually say this. I would actually say that faith must necessitate aggression. Aggression is part of faith. Aggression is actually what John the Baptist does. Let me show you. John the Baptist is sitting in prison, and he says... He, he looks at his life and he says, my life is about over. Uh, I, I know the ends to come. I know what's going to happen to my life. I'm in prison. I'm probably not getting out. People hate me. I've made enemies. So he sends a messenger and he says, I want to know about this Christ. I, I need to know about this Messiah. And he sends people and then they come back to him and they report what Christ said. We're going to get to that in a moment. But what John did, there's this verse right here that, that, that's written that Christ says, and, and there's actually a, a book written, Flannery O'Connor, uh, wrote a book called The Violent Bear It Away. And it's a, it's a great book. It's about Southern religion and the uh, interaction with, with intellect of the city. And The Violent Bear It Away is based on this verse. The book that she writes, she writes out of a, a context of, of basically critiquing faith. She grew up in a very, 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 very religious household. 
and she writes it as a critique. And she says, the violent bear it away. And it's a very violent book. There's, there's aggression in it. Christ, in one of his answers to John, John says, hey, are you the Messiah? And instead of answering this, we'll get to this more in a second, we'll unpack this. Instead of answering simply yes or no, when I say, hey, is violence part of faith? And we go, yes or no, we should ask, what do you mean by violence? Do we mean aggression or physical violence? Christ does something similar with John. John says, are you the Messiah? And instead of saying, yes, John, or no, John, he says this, blind will see, lame will walk, lepers healed, poor receive the gospel, dead come to life. And then he goes on to say something else. And he says, faith has always come through violence and the violent bear it away. What does that mean? That, that's an interesting little, little tidbit just kind of shoved in there. What does that mean? I think it means this. As I read commentaries, as I read those uh, others who has researched this, I think what Christ is getting at is where we see everywhere else in the Gospels is this. Those who are passive in their faith, those who are only passive, I should say, in their faith, who are not aggressively humble, who are not violently seeking, don't receive faith. Let me show you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through a couple of these in the gospel of accounts where people were so aggressive, so violent in their humility. It seems crazy. It seems bonkers. Luke 5.17 has this incredible passage. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. So he's got a crowd, he's got people with him. It says, they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Okay, so they're watching, they're hearing. Jesus can heal the sick. And, he's, and, and, and what happens when he says that? He has a teaching, he has a proclamation, he has this understanding. What happens next is this people come and they say, we need Jesus to heal us, but we can't get to him because there's a huge crowd. So what they do is they hop on and they cut a hole in the roof and they lower their friend in who's on a mat. And as he's being lowered in, Jesus looks up and goes, be healed. And they go on their way. He lowered him through the mat into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, be healed, go away. And they go away. Now, really quick, did, did those people hear what was happening during the teaching time? No, they were too busy sawing through a roof. Did, they, did their thinking get that man's faith to heal him, to heal his, his lame body? No. What was it? It was aggression and violence. The roof got violence to it, yes. But also their humility. They were desperate to seek Christ, even to the point of, of defacing property and being looked at kind of foolishly. Who lowers a friend on a mat to the middle of a teaching time? It's weird. The next one, Luke 18, 38. It says this. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What's happening here is a blind beggar is, is trying to seek healing. He's trying to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him, be quiet. And he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Really quick. Man says, have mercy on me. And he's getting rebuked by those who are with Jesus. He's, they're going, shh, quiet. You're too loud. <laughs> Shut up. And he screams even louder. He's trying to get it. And it says, Jesus stopped or the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what did he ask him? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. 
And then it says this. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, hold on a second. It says your faith has healed you, but all he did was shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he was told to shut up, and he said, no, I will scream even louder. He's making a fool of himself. He's making himself look stupid, church. Next. (laughs) Yes, Nova, I said the S word. I apologize. He looked silly. We have a rule in our house. We don't say stupid. We say silly. Luke 8.41, and then Luke 8.43 as well. There's a man who runs to Jesus, and he says to him, he says, man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Fell at his feet, pleading with him, come to my house. Why? His daughter was dying. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying, and Jesus was on his way. The crowds almost crushed him. So that's happened. So Jairus, a synagogue leader, comes running to Jesus, falls at his feet, and says, come with me. My daughter's about to die. She's going to die. Come, quickly. Falls at his feet, pleads with him begs him. And then in 43, what happens is Jesus is on his way, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So he's on his way to heal the daughter of the man who came begging at his feet. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now, I want to, I again, get this picture. Synagogue leader comes rushing to Jesus, falls at his feet, begs. Woman, who has been ostracized from community for 12 years, gross, disgusting, horrible, comes into community again, shows her face where she hasn't been allowed to be for years, and gets so close as to grab Jesus' cloak. I don't know if you've been on, you know, how, how weird is it if you were just to be on the, the red line and somebody comes in and they want to get to your seat and they just kind of grab you and pick you up and then sit down in your spot. That'd be weird. You'd be like, what's happening? Why is somebody touching my personal space? Why is somebody touching my clothing? I had this happen one time. I was wearing a a jean jacket that's like a commuter jean jacket. It's rainproof. It's got like a pocket back here to put some things as you ride your bike. And I had somebody put their hand. They're like, oh, that's a cool jacket. And they put their hand back there. And I was like, whoa, it's a little too personal. Um, What's your name again? (laughs) I don't think we've met yet, but now we have. It's It's very audacious. It's very, very aggressive, right? And then lastly, Matthew 26, 6. And this is one of my favorite verses. This is one of my favorite verses and stories. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, we don't have time to get to that, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. This woman comes to Jesus. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? Okay, stop. I want to give you some context. This woman Her life savings is more than likely in this alabaster jar of perfume. She crushes it. She's in front of teachers. She's in front of a house that's not her own. And she she cleanses Jesus with this offering. Foolish. Silly. Crazy. See, when, when Jesus says violence comes to those of faith and the violence bear it away, What we need to understand about that, what we must see about that is this. John came seeking, aggressive seeking. If you know John the Baptist, his whole entire life mission was to proclaim this Jesus guy, to to make paths straight for this Jesus guy to come and to proclaim and to preach and to teach. He was only to tell of the one to come. And John says this, essentially. He's sitting in prison, and he says, was my life a waste? 
I'm sitting in prison. I'm about to be killed. My whole entire life, I don't, I don't have family with me. I don't have friends with me. I don't have a roof over, the, over my head. I don't have a bank account. I don't have 401k. What is happening to me? Did I just waste my entire life? And Jesus says, the violent bear this away. Meaning, the violent take, faith comes through violence, and violence typically happens to us. Our identity is shifted by violent hustle, aggression, audacity. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I, there was a football team that I enjoyed watching, the 49ers, and they would do their camp. Love the 49ers. There was this camp. Look, we raise them right in my house, okay? <laughs> Teach the children in the way of the, Lord, the, way of the Niners, the way of the, I don't, it gets muddled in there somewhere. <laughs> I would go to the camp, and I was probably eight, nine, ten, and I would I'd be dropped off for the day. It was during the summer. My parents worked, and they're like, hey, go to summer camp with the 49ers. And I'd go to the camp. I'd get these jackets. I'd, I'd get three pins. I had three Sharpies and this jacket and this hat. And I was eight, nine, ten. I was this little scrawny kid. And there's this just crowds of people against the fence. And I couldn't muscle my way up. I couldn't talk my way up. I had no clue how to talk to adults. I, I couldn't force them out of my way. So... I was unashamed, and I'd just get on all fours, and I'd start crawling through legs. And then I'd pop up against the fence, and these adults would be like, what is going on? Where did you come from, gopher? And I'm like, I'm here. And then I would see the, the 49er players going, you know, to the practice at this fence, and I'd take off my jacket, and I'd stick one pin in it, and I'd toss the jacket over the fence. And then they would have to, this is just going down, it just has to happen. I would toss the jacket over, and they would pass by it, and they would look at it, and they would look at the jacket, and they'd look at me, and I'm like, that's mine. You know what they would have to do? Unless they want to be a giant jerk, they'd have to pick it up. And be like, hey, as you're picking that up, why don't you just go ahead and put a little signature on that? And they would pick it up, and they'd see the Sharpie, and they'd look at me, and they'd start laughing as they're like, oh, that's good. And they'd toss it back over. And all the adults are like, how did he do that? And then sure enough, somebody else would come by, and I'd toss it over, the same exact thing. And eventually, all the, then I was known around camp as the guy who just tosses jacket anywhere. This little eight-year-old kid running around getting all the autographs. I have something like 50 autographs on this jacket now from all these NFL Hall of Famers. How did I do it? Was it because they knew who I was, because I was so smart, or because I was so great? No, I just out-hustled everyone else. I just was silly, foolish. If you wanted the offensive lineman, the defensive lineman, the bigger guys, they wouldn't walk back to the locker room after practice. They would go straight to the cafeteria because they ate like 8,000 calories a day. So what I would do is if I got enough of the wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, the, the smaller guys, I would go to the chow line, it's called, and I'd just sit there. And the chow line had no fence. There was nothing fence. This was back before facilities, what they, what they were. You know, there's no key fob, there's nothing like that. There's no indoor practice facility. It was all outside a community college. And I would just sit near the chow line, and I would wait for all the defensive linemen, the big guys. And I would just hold out and I'd say, please. And be like, okay. And I would get them after they came out of the cafeteria. Do not talk to them as they're going in. I just out-hustled everybody. Violence came to me because I had to look like a fool crawling on all fours through the grass, through the mud, through the muck, pressed up against the fence. I had to be foolish to throw my, my jacket over. Maybe they were going to be jerks, and maybe they wouldn't do it. Maybe a handler would come by, pick it up, and toss it back over. I had no idea. 
But if I look at every single time that faith came to people in Scripture, if I look at Jesus' ministry to others, to the woman bleeding, to the alabaster jar, to the, to the man coming through the roof, to the daughter who's about to die, every single one I see people acting foolishly. See, what we must understand about faith, what John is doing, he sends messengers, he says, are you the Messiah? He's not asking, give me a 10-page report on if you're Messiah. He was asking that, and Jesus says, I'm not gonna answer you yes or no. Instead, I'm gonna tell you the things that I came to do, and then I'm gonna tell you the violent bear it away. The aggressive humility. Aggression's part of faith. Passivity is not. I think a lot of times we, we hear things about different codes or different uh, religions or different faith, and, and we typically think, if you've heard this phrase before, and if you have this on a wall in your house somewhere, I do apologize. I really do. Uh, let go and let God. Right? Have we heard that phrase? Let go and let God. Meaning, uh, que sera, sera, whatever be, will be, will be. So be it. Actually, that flies in the face of what, what Jesus is telling his people. It flies in the face of how gospel comes. Yes, we receive and we have assurance and we have peace. We'll get to that in a second with our identity. But how we come to faith, how we see that identity is aggression. To say, I need to seek Christ clearly and fully and totally. That's what John the Baptist did. Now, really quick, before we move on, I want to talk about two other things of how this aggression works and give you a point to it. Aggression comes to those who seek, but our seeking is passive. Hold on, pastor. You've just undone everything you just said. Wait a second. Uh, I'm going to use Captain uh, America for this one, okay? I'm going to go marvel on you. When Steve Rogers gets to become Captain America, he sits in a chamber and serum gets injected into him and he becomes Captain America. He comes out all big, bad, and buff um, and he's ripped beyond belief because of the serum that goes into him and he's now Captain America. What did he do to get to become Captain America? Did he, he work out harder? Nope. Did he, did he eat thousands and thousands of calories. Did he? No, no, he didn't do any of that. What happened? He had to receive the power from somebody else. But if you've seen the movie, if you understand it, what happened to him when that serum was injected into him was violent, was it not? His body was taken under by it. The serum did something to him. He had to go through metamorphosis, and that metamorphosis was excruciating. It was excruciating. Church, our metamorphosis from sinner to saint in Christ is violent to our entire thinking, posture, attitude, and identity. And we receive it, and the violence comes to us. It's not being smarter or better, but the violence happens through passivity of receiving from Christ what he gives us. Uh, one of the things that I love about uh, COTB and specifically doing ministry in a city like Chicago, is the immigrant population that is back and forth in cities. Here's why I love it. Do you know, and we saw it in the, in the photos of the 10-year anniversary, there's no one spot that's the same that we've been to and fro. Do you know what you can't have in a city with, with a large immigrant population? You can't say to yourself, well, here's the one culture, and here's the one thing that makes sense, and here's the one right way. You can't do that. Why? Wait five years and see the whole entire thing shift. Wait three years, watch everything shift. Cities reinvent themselves every three to five years. They have to. 
They must. Now, why is that fun? Why is that exciting? Because you know what happens within faith of a city like Chicago when you're trying to minister to people who are immigrant population or transient? You can't have culture be the one thing that matters most. You can't have, essentially, your culture, your way of thinking, your entire livelihood is attacked by the ever-changing model of the city. And if you held on to something 10 years ago, it won't be the same in five years. That clarifies Christ in totality for us. It, it makes it very simple. It strips all that away and makes it very clear who Christ is. John said, are you the Messiah? And to John, he probably thought, I'm in a Roman jail cell. I want Rome taken down. Or I want my people free. Or I want good moral code. If I was to ask you what you mean by a savior in your life, how would you answer that? Social justice, personal justice, personal prosperity, freedom, self-expression. Which one of those would you say, Jesus, I want you to give me something, and what in five to ten years will change? See, what Christ does is, John, I hear you, I understand you, I know you, and I'm not going to answer the way you want me to. I'm going to answer you something completely different. And that attacked John. How is it that Jesus attacks who you are in your identity, and he's not doing it as a horrible, sinful person? He's doing it as a loving person who wants the best for you. The violent bear it away. Faith is aggression in humility, not aggression in violence, aggression in humility. Violence to self of our self-identity that Christ transforms. We were once Steve Rogers and now we're Captain America. He is an Avenger, yes. That's the change that happens. By the way, really quick, just a little promo for why we do family ministry on Sunday. Uh, these are my kids. Um, we do family ministry. We do a family Sunday. I came to faith sitting in a service uh, of, we called it big church back in the day, uh, not going to Sunday school. I came to faith, and I didn't know what the pastor was preaching on, but every so often I'd hear something that I would write down, and years later, that seed blossomed into faith for me. So... Thank you all for dealing with our children. I appreciate that. But let me just tell you, it's paying dividends. We pray, we hope. The second thing, violence comes to those of faith. And the second thing, he had identity based on Christ's de declaration. He had identity based on Christ's declaration. Christ, in the middle of this verse, as he's explaining to John who he is, what happens on his declaration, I am who I am, the lame will walk, the lepers will be healed, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the, the dead will become to life, the gospel will be received by the poor. He says all this, and he goes, that's who I am. And if I am who I say I am, that changes you, John, in entirety. Let me show you. In the middle of this passage, Jesus recaps a, a verse from the Old Testament, a Malachi verse, and he talks about when the presence of God is with his people. Typically what happens is there's a messenger. There's an angelic or some sort of force if you've grown up in church for a while, when Jesus, or when God was, was making his people leave out of Egypt, he appeared as a pillar of fire protecting them from behind, right? When, when Jesus was crucified, earthquake erupted, splits the, the curtain in half. There's an eclipse that happens. When Jesus' birth is proclaimed, there's angelic uh, uh, messengers. When Mary finds the tomb empty, angelic messengers. But here, John is the forebearer of who Christ is. John is going out proclaiming 
And he says, are you the Messiah? And in doing so, this is, we don't see it right away, but when Christ uses a verse from the Old Testament saying, typically what happens when Christ, when God's presence is appearing, there's a, there's a powerful angelic force. There's a supernatural presence. And all of a sudden, Jesus tells John, I am Messiah, and John, you're my forebearer, and you speak of me. And what he did in that instance was something I don't think, I think we skim over it. I think we gloss over it a lot of time. Christ proclaimed, I am he. And that changes who you are, doesn't it, John? See, John is now a spokesperson where angels were spokespeople before. John is now the messenger where earthquakes, pillars of fire, burning bush that has no source of, of flame, all of those were the messenger. Now, smoke on a mountain, whirlwind craziness, a prophet getting into the, uh, a belly of a fish and being spit out on the beach. And John goes, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not what I've done. I'm just John the Baptist. And Christ goes, exactly. If I am who I say I am, then that changes everything about who you are, John. That changes everything. You're now messenger where before I had angels. You're now messenger where I had supernatural things. As a matter of fact, the New Testament cites a verse. It says, they wouldn't believe if I gave more supernatural things. People come and be like, have you heard this from people? Well, if Jesus would just talk to me, I would believe in him. Have you done that, friends? Well, if Jesus would just make a way for me, I'd believe in him. If he would just let his presence be known, I'd believe in him. Have you said that? I have. And what Jesus says to John, what he says to all of us is, I could light up the sky with fire and you'd believe it for a hot minute and then move on. Do you know what would change your perception of who I am? If I come live with you, if I make everything mundane, easy, simple. Uh, sometimes I, I get asked to go um, speak at retreats. And I love speaking at retreats. They're a blast. So this next comment is not downplaying retreats. Do you know how easy it is to preach at a retreat? I, I used to do it all the time with students. And we'd go, winter retreat would happen. And you'd go find some snow-covered hill in a cabin and with a, with a mess hall, and you'd, you'd preach at it, and you'd get invited. Let me tell you, this is the easiest way to get in with students in student ministries. You just go have a snowball fight, and you let them pelt you with snowballs. You just let them annihilate you. And at the end, they're like, oh, I killed you. Like, yeah, you're so good. After that, everyone listens to everything I say. And they're like, oh, it was so good. I'm like, it was only so good because I let you pelt me with snowballs. That's why you like me right now. It's easy to impress people for 36 hours. Do you know how hard it is to live with somebody for years and years years and screw up thousands of times and ask for forgiveness thousands of times and for that person to know how much you stink and still accept you. It's a lot harder to pastor for 10 years with people than it is to preach 36 hours at a retreat. That's easy. I can impress people for 36 hours. I can't impress people for 10 years. The veneer rubs off. Everything comes crashing down. And when Christ says to John, John, you're asking, am I Messiah? Am I this? And I'm going to take you from what you're thinking is, I'm going to transcend you to something higher. I'm going to make you go up to something bigger. I'm going to tell you who I am, and therefore it changes who you are. It's not a simple yes or no. It's something different. 
Uh, in his book, The Creative Act, Rick Rubin, if you don't know who that name is, he created Def Jam Records. Uh, Def Jam Records where we get Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, and this one threw me when I was going through the list. Uh, Justin Bieber. I was like, oh, one of these is not like the other. I can tell you that right now. Rick Rubin writes this book, and he says in it, he actually, he actually says it's really wild. He's not a Christian. He's not of faith. But he says, if any creative person wants to make something that's lasting, if any creative person wants to make something that's moving, they have to connect with a transcendent force that's above them. Every single artist, if many of you creatives know this. Many of you artists know this. Rick Rubin kind of gets a little, he gets a little out there. He starts talking about the universe wanting to be a, you're a conduit for the universe. So you're just channeling all the power and the energy of the universe through you. And I'm like, okay, Rick, what are you doing, brother? Like, calm down. But he's also not wrong. Because our job as Christians is to be transcended above our normal plane to something higher that Christ wants to show John. And because he transcends him higher than what he thought, because it's so much bigger, because Christ is so much larger, the violent bear it away. John, if I am who I say I am, if I'm the Messiah that came to die, that changes everything you are. And the only way John was changed is if he went from the thinking to the transcendent. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. Rick Rubin even quotes Ecclesiastes. He doesn't cite Ecclesiastes, but he quotes scripture. And he says, any artist that does not connect to a higher plane will have no lasting effect in this world. Because the only way to have true creativity is to connect to a transcendent force, something above you. Let me put it for our terms. You and I love fairy tales. Do you know that? The best movie award winner this year, Everything Everywhere All at Once, was a crazy movie. If you've seen it, it's just bananas. You don't know what's going on. There's meta-universe. It's just crazy. And yet, everybody was compelled and moved by it. Everybody was transfixed by it. Everybody saw it and was like, I don't know if I like it or I hate it, but I'm not leaving the same. Fairy tales are a fantastic reminder that we love to be transcended to something higher than us. We do this in church here. We do this in a gathering. And as a matter of fact, I, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor that loves preaching. But I'm going to tell you something. When we sing... Do you know why we sing at church? Have you ever thought and stopped and asked yourself that? Why do we sing songs? Is this like just an old traditional thing? No, 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 no. When we sing, we get transcended. When we sing, it's a creative act. When we sing, there's a connection. When we worship and we're in awe, something happens to our bones. It's not just thinking. As a matter of fact, I love preaching, but if I only give information, if I only give you which is why I, I never preach a sermon of here's how to be a better person in, in three easy steps, step one, step two, step three. Do you know why? That'll never work. I can guilt and shame you into something for five months at a time, maybe. But if I want a life transformation, I need to take you from guilt and shame and behavioral change to something bigger, to something greater, to something good. That's what we do here. Worship, singing songs. I pray that the sermon is just an extension of what happened in singing. I pray that we're still worshiping as we're hearing God's word preached and proclaimed. I do not pray that this is information given to you. If it's information, if this is a lecture, I've failed. But rather, if I encourage your hearts to see Christ is greater and better than everything we could ever do. If it's an extension of singing praise, then I've succeeded. Then I've done something. We talk about faith. 
Christ is saying, you, John, are now my forebearer of news. And John goes, wait a second, I know what that means. That's pillar of fire. That's angelic. That's, that's transcendent. And Christ goes, exactly. And John is changed. The shoe drops. Everything comes down. Are you Messiah? Yes. And if I am, you're my speaking person. You're my hype man. You're my hype person. Wait, what? So how I speak about you is speaking on behalf of angels? Yes. How I represent you is on behalf of God, the Father Almighty? Yes. See, when we're brought above the plane of simple intellect into a plane of transcendent force, that's when everything changes. And the last thing, John has violence happen to him. John, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to answer something different. I'm going to offend you, and I'm going to give you something more. You need to humble yourself. Okay, great. The second thing, you need to receive an identity shift, not information. Okay, great. And then lastly, he takes his answer. He receives his answer. And this one's very simple. Friends, John the Baptist is about to be killed in prison, has no hope. And he says, are you the Messiah? Basically meaning this, what hope do I have that my life isn't ruined and isn't a waste? And Christ says, don't worry, I am he. And John is able to sit in prison to be put on trial, sort of. It's not an actual trial. It's a trial by social equity that somebody else owes a favor kills John. All of this happens to him in prison. And do you know the only way he was able to face that? Do you know the only way he was able to not lose his mind and face what's coming to him with audacity, with bravery and courage? The only way, it wasn't getting your, it wasn't girding your loins, it wasn't fighting the good fight. None of that would have changed John. What only changed John was this. I'm a mouthpiece for the king of the universe. What can you do against me that he won't undo? What can you do against me that he hasn't blessed me with already? I get to speak on behalf of him and you're threatening to take my head off? Okay. Do you see that, church? The violent bear it away. And the only way you'll be able to bear it is if you see Christ is greater and better than every single thing you have in your life over your identity, over who you are. Steph and Jay uh, just had uh, their child. If you were to ask Steph and Jay, was that a peaceful experience or a violent experience? They would answer violent. And it is. But do you know what happens at the end of that violence? Do you know what happens to have mothers keep on enduring that through the entirety of it? It's not, oh, be better, mom, do the good thing. That, that does nothing. I've never said that to my wife during our three deliveries of our children. Not once, praise God. Said, get with it, be better. Doesn't do it. Do you know what gets, what got Haley through it? What gets moms through it? At the end of this, you'll be able to hold your baby girl or boy. At the end of it is the prize coming to you. At the end of this is the glory that this pain is temporary and can endure. See, John said, is my pain worth it? And if Christ is a liar. If Christ isn't Messiah, if Christ isn't who he says he is, do you know what John should start doing in prison? Backtracking everything he said. He should go 
to all the authorities and be like, hey, I'm in prison. You guys don't like me. You didn't like that I'm changing your life. You didn't like what I'm preaching. And I was wrong. He's a fool. He's silly. I have nothing to do with him. I denounce him. And John would have gone free. Okay, start telling us that the Roman Empire is the best thing. Great, awesome, because this guy's a sham. But he didn't. Why? Uh, his identity was shifted because he saw Christ was good. He's the good son who took our place in death. He's the good father who sends love to us. He's the good spirit that comforts us in all trials. And the second you see that, the second you see Christ as not somebody who gets you good things, but rather good thing in and of himself, the second you see Christ as somebody who is proclaiming good news, not making you a better person, is the second that you say, I can face anything. Church, John had some assumptions of who Christ was. He had some understandings of, of who he thought he was. And Christ answers him in such a way that changes everything about how John sees himself. Can I ask you, can I challenge you with something? Okay, this is for everybody besides Nova. That was awesome. <laughs> Friends, let me challenge you. If you have assumptions about Christ, he will come against those assumptions because we love self-expression, don't we? Why don't we let Christ self-express who he is to us instead of putting on to him what we think he is? And whatever that is, if we agree with it, there's nothing Christ can ask of us that we shouldn't give up. And if it's wrong, we shouldn't listen to him at all. Do you see? If we say, Christ, I have assumptions about you, what we're doing is saying, you can't self-express, Christ. I will tell you who you are. And Christ says, okay, then you don't want me. You want yourself. But rather, if we let Christ self-express what he tells us, either we believe because he is good or we don't believe because he's not good. That's the choice we have. And isn't that, doesn't that seem aggressive? Doesn't that seem hard? Friends, if he is good, he can be believed at his word. If he is not good, don't believe a single word that he says. That's what John answered. And John got there by his violent aggression of humility, seeking, asking, receiving, in passivity, being violenced upon. And the second thing he did is he took his answer and he shifted his identity. Friends, would you do the same today? Would you stop having assumptions of Christ and simply let him speak to you and receive it because he proved how good he is by coming and dying on the cross for you and I. He said, I will make it good. Here's how. Will you receive it because you could bear anything because your identity has shifted. That's my question for you today. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.